0: Well, we're going to wrap it up this week. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. If you're just joining us, if you're new here today, we've been throughout the summer, we've been in a series called We Are, and we've just been literally going chapter by chapter in the book of Ephesians. And um, I don't know if you're like me, but what Paul is about to do, he's about to give some final instructions. Um, And if you're ever like me, my wife, she always tells me what I need to do. And then the last thing, I usually, I'm like, yeah, 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 I got it. And then I walk out the door and I forget the last thing she told me. And so then I don't really know how to accomplish the thing that she told me to do because I wasn't really paying attention. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, this is what Paul's going to do. He's going to give us some final instructions. And he's basically going to tell us... Everything that we have learned in the last five weeks, if you don't get this, it all goes out the window. It all goes out the door. So if you're with me today, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're actually going to pick it up in verse 10. We're going to start in verse 10. And uh, what we're going to do, if you've kind of been with us for the past few weeks, you know this is kind of the format. We'll read a few scriptures. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it. We'll have some conversation. Then we'll read a few more, and we'll kind of continue that process. So this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. And this is Paul talking. And notice how he says, a final word. Okay, so he says, final word. Everything that I've said to you, if you do not get this, it will not make sense. A final word. Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Against all the strategies of the devil. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at this verse specifically, these two verses. And I think that there's three main points that Paul is trying to teach us in all of this. The first one is this. Number one, true strength comes from the Lord. True strength comes. Comes from the Lord. If you notice, it says, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. So here's what I think a lot of times, especially men in South Louisiana, we really believe like strength is, you know, I work hard. And because I worked hard, I got a big truck, and I hunt on the weekends, and I kill things with my hands. And I never admit when I'm, you know, emotional emotions, like, what is that? I never deal with that kind of stuff. You know, that's for weak people. That's what we believe a lot of times, especially in our culture, especially as men. We view strength as the appearance of strength. But Paul's going to say, hey, be strong in the Lord because there really is no strength inside of yourself. If you want true strength, you have to learn to have a relationship with Jesus. You have to learn how to lean on Christ. Actually, in 2 Corinthians verse 12, Paul is actually going to tell us, he says, In your weakness, Christ is made strong. So the gospel is kind of like flipping everything upside down when in our culture we see strength as just this portrayal of strength. I've got to be strong, I've got to have the appearance of strength. When Paul says, If you actually learn to embrace your weaknesses, that strength. That is real strength. You will not find a single verse in the Bible that says, be strong in your own strength. Be strong in your own strength. Because here's the truth. You cannot be strong in yourself and be strong in God at the same time. So let me, let me explain it to you this way. All of Jesus' miracles, every single one of them, every single one of them started off with a problem. Every single one of them started off with a weakness. Somebody was blind. Somebody had leprosy. There was a crippled man. There was a woman with an issue of blood. Everybody was at a point of desperation in their life, this level of weakness where there was nothing that they could do to maintain strength on their own. So here's the good news today. If you have a weakness, if you're struggling with something right now, you have to realize that is your opportunity to receive a miracle. That is an opportunity for you to show God, like, God, I want to find true strength in you, not just in myself. Let me put it this way. Your weakness is your invitation to trust God. Your weakness is your invitation to trust God. And let's just be honest. Most of the times our weakness, when we look at it, we say I'm weak. I don't want other people to realize that I'm weak. I don't want other people to realize what I'm going through. But I cannot tell you how much freedom I have found when I just admit to people sometimes within my own life, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. When we started this church, I'll be honest with you, like when we started and we kicked it off for the first few months and people were like, man, I love it, it's going and I'm like, that's great, I'm glad that you love it because I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never done this before. But there is this freedom that we find when we don't have to fake it anymore, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it gets really exhausting when you have to give off this appearance of strength consistently. You know, when you walk in the doors of church or you walk into anybody's house and, hey, how are you doing? And you give the cop-out answer, oh, I'm fine. When inside, like, it's just, like, eating you away. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So your weakness is your invitation to trust in God. Your weakness is your invitation to find true strength in Christ. That's why it says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Number two, it says, put on all of God's armor. Put on all of God's armor. I'm going to explain in a minute. We're going to, Paul's going to go into detail about what the armor of God is, but I think he's making a bigger point in this verse. He's basically saying this, life is not a playground, it's a battleground. Life is not a playground, it's a battleground, and if you don't have armor on, you will consistently walk around wounded. So here's the whole idea of this sermon today. We've titled it, We Are Fighters, that literally life is a battle. And if we kind of just sit back and we don't put on the armor of God, we don't strengthen ourselves, we don't get into healthy biblical community, we don't begin to involve ourselves and in how do I grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus, you're going to consistently walk around wounded and you're also going to be consistently frustrated when you come to church. Let me prove it to you this way. You're going to come to church, and you're going to sense this. Okay, I I sense this thing that is greater than me. God trying to pull me to do something, but I'm so frustrated because I'm just not there yet because all I can focus on is my wounds. All I can focus on is what is going on in my life right now. What Paul's trying to teach us, he says, you've got to learn to put on the armor of God so you don't consistently walk around wounded because here's the thing. I don't know about you. Have you ever tried to exercise with an injury? Anybody try to exercise, like, with an injury? I'm the, my my wife will tell you this. Like, when I get injured, I'm the biggest baby on the face of the earth, okay? My wife is, like, giving birth to, like, five children, and I get, like, a scrape on my hand. I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible. But anyway, like, when you exercise with an injury, you're not at 100%, right? You're not at 100%. Recently, I say recently, it's only been a day, but uh, my wife and I, and I've explained this to you guys before, but we're, like, really into the whole Ninja Warrior thing, watching the show. And a few weeks ago, I was like, man, I, I think I really want to do this. I want to start training for this. You know, I want to start going into this and, and doing all this. And uh, my wife's like, well, you realize that you have to work out to do that. I was like, no, no. <laughs> like, I got this, okay, so we went to this, um, we went to Lafayette on a date, I think it was last week, and they have this little kind of ninja park there, where they have some bars that you can swing from, and all this kind of stuff, and uh, so I get on it, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, if I'm being honest, like, I'm swinging, going from bar to bar, and I look down at my hands, like an idiot, I didn't have, any powder any gloves and I just like tore my hands up so it was the excuse for like the next two weeks my wife's like hey you want to work out I was like nah, blister on my hand you know, like I can't she's like but we're doing like burpees I know blister like it's just not gonna work here's the truth you don't perform 100% whenever you're hurt and here's the truth Although this may be a silly example, I think it correlates perfectly within our relationship with Jesus. If we're not learning how to pursue God on a daily basis and put on the armor of God, the reason that Christianity is so frustrating to many of you is because you're walking around bleeding and wounded all the time. You're walking around wounded and you're going, well, why did God do this to me? Why did God allow this? And because we're not protecting our emotions. We're not guarding our heads. We're not guarding our hearts. And we're not learning to put on the armor of God. Therefore, we're frustrated in our relationship with Jesus. So let me put it to you this way. You can stand against the schemes of the enemy only to the degree of which you're protected. Only to the degree to which you are protected. I don't know if you guys have realized this or not. I don't think I'm telling you anything that you don't know. But the enemy never takes a vacation. <laughs> you ever just want to be like, come on Satan. Like, Can you ever push the pause button for a moment? Like, Can you just dial it back a little bit? He's constantly moving forward. And he's constantly gaining ground. And so Paul leads us to this third point when he says... Put on all of God's armor so that we will be able to what? Stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. So number three is this. Satan and demonic forces are real and they have a strategic plan to destroy your life. They have a strategic plan to destroy your life. I know within the culture that we live in now, it's, it's hard for people to believe in demonic forces or a devil or demons or any of that kind of stuff, but it is very real. And chances are you've probably encountered it more than you actually believe. Let me, let me prove it to you. You ever just have like this incredible date night like with you and, and, and your wife, and you're like, man, this is just awesome. It's going well. And then you get in the car after the most connecting time, and all of a sudden it's like all hell breaks loose, and you're like, wait, time out. We, like We just had this connection, and now we get in the car, and it's like World War III breaks out, and we hate each other. Like, what is going on? Or have you ever sat down, and you read the Bible, or you're trying to like have this moment with God, like you're trying to pursue Jesus, and then all of a sudden just like the worst thoughts in the world begin to pop in your mind. You're like, where in the world does this even come from? That is demonic forces. Because there's times when you're not even looking for evil, and it just presents itself to you. There's times when you're not even trying to fall into a trap and all of a sudden you turn around the corner and it's just right there. And you're like, really? Like, really? Satan and demonic forces are real. And get this, they have a strategic plan to destroy your life. John 10.10 puts it this way. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy you. That is his sole ambition. That is his sole purpose. So, So let me put it to you like this. Show of hands in here. How many of you guys are just naturally like competitive? You have this naturally just like competitive nature. Like I absolutely hate to lose. Like I hate to lose. If my wife and I are working out, we were doing it was a few weeks ago, she's like, all right, 10 push-ups. So we're doing 10, and she's like, 10, and I'm like, I'm like, my arms are dying. I'm like, 11, You know, like just to like beat her. If we play cards at night. Like we will stay, like I will end the card game once I have won, even though she's spanked me like 10 times. I end on a high note, right? I am that dad, I'm just throwing it out there. I am that dad that never lets their kids win. Like, are you, you need to be fair. I'm like, we play, we play a uh, keep away in, in our pool and uh, I'll, I'll be in the middle and Eli like throws the ball and I'm like, ah! you know, like, it's like, dad, you never let me win. I was like, well, you know what, son, life just isn't fair, you know? <laughs> like, I never let my children, I am that dad. There's this competitive nature that just rises up in, within me and I want to win at everything. And my wife is the same way. It makes a very interesting dynamic within our house. But here's the truth. The reality is you have to get this. The enemy is playing this game called life to win. And he doesn't want to just maim you. He doesn't want to just wound you. He wants to conquer you. He wants to completely take over your life. And this, I think a lot of times that's what we don't realize, and we kind of begin to play this like, Russian roulette game with sin, thinking, oh, you know what, it's not that bad, I'll just give in a little bit, and then I'll make a promise to myself that I'll pull out, and then before you know it, you're so entangled and you can't get out of it. The enemy is playing this game to win. So why all this talk about armor? Why is Paul talking about armor? Because I don't know if you're like me in here, but I grew up in church. And when I heard this Bible verse in Sunday school, you know, we would all dress up and we put the helmet of salvation on. And we put the breastplate. We would dress up in armor and walk out and be like, what does that mean? I don't know, but I look cool. (laughs) Like, I have no idea what it means. So why is Paul talking about all of this armor? Well, first thing, he wants us to know that the Christian life is a life of fighting. The Christian life is a life of battle and going to war. But he also wants us to know what we're fighting against. So let's read it in Ephesians 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. So these demonic forces. Against mighty powers in the dark world and evil spirits in the heavenly places. So get this. Our fight is not with our neighbor, our fight is not with our coworker. Our fight is not even with our husband or our wife. Our fight is against sin and demonic forces. And so many times we make our fight against people. Well, they wronged me. They did this. But a lot of times, you know what? The reason that people hurt you is because they're hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And, and, and if we can understand that a lot of times, even within the context of marriage and even within the context of friendships, a lot of times people just say things, they say hurtful things to you because they are hurt, right? And so Paul wants to remind us that, hey, listen, our fight is not with physical people. Our fight is against sin. Our fight is against evil. Our fight is against Satan. Our fight is against demons. And so here's the truth. What are we fighting against? We're fighting against every impulse, every desire that is wanting to cause us to drift away further from Jesus. So we're fighting against lust of the eyes. We're fighting against power. We're fighting against fame. We're fighting against money. And listen, all those things are good, but they can turn evil. We're fighting against the approval of man. The only foothold Satan has in your life is your unwillingness to fight sin. It's the only foothold that he has. The only foothold that Satan has is your unwillingness to just sit back and coast. You know what? I'm just going to sit back. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to enter into this. I don't feel like dealing with it anymore. So your spouse is not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Sin is your enemy. Now, let me kind of make a point here because there's some people that take this a little too far. Okay? They, They get to Walmart And they didn't get their parking spot. And they're like, the devil is just conspiring. No, that wasn't the devil, okay? That was not the devil. That was just, you just missed the parking spot, okay? What I'm talking about is this fight against sin, this, this desire to want to, especially in our culture, just to downshift and not care. John Owen puts it this way. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And, and here's the thing about sin. Oftentimes, you don't even realize how far you're drifting off. You just wake up one day and you're going, how in the world did I get here? I don't even know how I got here. And it's because we got into this mind frame and we got into this mindset to just sit back and just kind of coast a little bit. And it's so popular in our culture, right? What is the, the number one thing that we love to do to not think, to, not, to just drown things out? We love to just sit down and we love to have a day planned out and like all day is Netflix today. That's all I'm going to do today, just watch TV, watch movies. Why? Because we want to numb. We don't want to think about the realities of our life. So let's continue on. Ephesians six thirteen verse 14, therefore... Put on every piece of God's armor. We're going to get to that in a second of what that is. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You will still be standing firm. And here's the truth. The reason so many of us are so weak in resisting sin and resisting temptation is because we leave ourselves exposed and we don't learn to put on the armor of God. So let me explain it to you this way. Too many of us are more concerned about with what clothes we wear rather than our relationship with Jesus. We're more concerned about our appearance. We're more concerned about the approval of men than our relationship with Jesus. We give our time, we give our energy into things that honestly don't matter. Listen, I'm not saying that I haven't given in to those things as well. I have. I think everybody does if you're not careful. But there are these issues that are so surface. When you look at in light of eternity, they don't really matter. But the, the, the catch is that the enemy wants to get us focused on is things that don't really matter. I love this verse when when Paul says, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So what Paul and what God is trying to tell us is, listen, as a Christian, if you're going to live it right, you're going to fight, you're going to get into a war, but at the end, you're still going to be standing. You're not going to be left bleeding all over the floor. And and, and if we're going to be able to do this, we have to learn how to put on the armor of God. So there's six pieces of armor that um that paul is going to describe to us and let's get into number one this is ephesians chapter six verse 14 he says stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of god's righteousness some translations if you it's the breastplate of righteousness so stand your ground put on the belt of truth and the body armor of god's righteousness So let's talk about these. Let's actually explain what these are, because I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we just sometimes expect to understand what it is, but I think when we really get down to it, a lot of us don't really know what it means. So number one, what is the belt of truth? Now, let me put it to you this way. I think all of us kind of have our own mechanism of determining what is right and wrong, right? For some, it's popular opinion. So for some, if everybody, the majority, the mass majority is saying this is right, then you just kind of, okay, everybody else is saying this is right, so I'm going to go with that. For others, it's just your instincts. It's your gut. Like, I feel like this is right in the moment. You don't care what everyone else thinks as long as your opinion is seen as fact, (laughs) right? As long as you come out in the end right, that's all you care about. And so here's what Paul's trying to tell us about the belt of truth. Paul is saying the only way to escape the deception of the enemy is to allow the word of God to determine the truth. This is why the Bible is so wildly important. And and here's the truth. Satan will consistently bombard us with lies, and unless we know the truth, we are susceptible to believing lies. This is why reading the Bible is so important. I find it so ironic and so funny that Christians, I mean, there was a poll that went on, about two years ago, and they asked a bunch of Christians, like, how important do you think the Bible is to our faith? And 95% of them said, no, it's absolutely important, but only 15% of them said they actually read it. And I find it really, honestly, quite ironic and, and quite funny that we say, hey, man, yes, I believe in God, I stand with Christian values, but we have, we have no idea what the Bible actually says. And so this means that we're so susceptible to actually believing and giving in to the lies of culture and if I were the enemy, this is what I would this is kind of what my strategy and my schemes would be. I would get you to do two things. Number 1, I would get you to doubt God's word. And number 2, I would get you to ignore God's word. Cuz if you can doubt God's word and if you can ignore God's word, then you are susceptible to believing anything. Absolutely anything. If Satan can get you to denow, to doubt and ignore the word, he can make a lie appear as truth. And this is what he did. He has no new tricks, he has no new schemes. He did this in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve, when God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and then he says, Listen, you can eat of any tree you want, just don't eat of this one. Then Satan, the serpent, comes along and he begins to tell Adam and Eve, hey, did God really say? Did God really say if you eat of that tree, that you know you're gonna die? And he kind of begins to twist it and they begin to doubt what God actually says. And then they fall into ignoring what he says, and then they bite into the, the fruit. And what happens? We, we know the rest of the story. Sin begins to enter into the world. Let me, let, let's take abortion, for example. Okay? I think one of the greatest lies that our culture has learned to believe, which is abortion. Like, hey, it's not about life, it's about choice. <laughs> It's not about life, it's about choice. It's the greatest lie that our generation honestly has fallen into. And I'm not saying, look, if you're in here and you've had that, then God extends much grace to you. I'm not trying to speak against that. What I am trying to say, though, is because Christians don't understand the word of God, we're susceptible to believing a lie. And what ends up happening is we take our own opinion and our own choices and what we feel in our own gut opinion, and we begin to say, hey, this is truth. This is truth. Hey, popular opinion, this is truth. When, when we clearly read in the, book, in, in the Bible that God values life. And here's the truth. This is what most people don't like. The Bible contradicts your opinion most of the time. The Bible contradicts what you want to believe, what you want to feel, and you don't like it. So we make another alternative. Hey, it's not about life. It's just about choice. It's not about life. It's just about choice. No, it, 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 it is about life. And we're believing and we're buying into a lie, therefore we begin to revolve and circle our life around a lie. The belt of truth is simply this, a passion to know God and His, and his word, even if it contradicts your opinion. Even if it contradicts your opinion. And then the second thing that Paul talks about, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, To take up the breastplate of righteousness means you don't give the enemy any room to mess with you. Here's the truth. If you give the enemy an inch, he'll take a mile. If you give him a little ground, he will take more than you could ever imagine. Let me put it to you this way. How many of you guys have ever said, Hey, I'm only going to mess with this just for this one time, and that's going to be it. I'm only just going to do it one time, two times, three times. And then you look back and you're like, how in the world did I get to this place? Because if you give the enemy just a little bit of ground, he'll take so much more than you ever thought that he would take. Satan uses uncovered parts of your life to attack you. He uses uncovered parts of your life To attack you. The breastplate back in the in the Roman day, it covered all of your vital internal organs. And here's the truth: if you're not fully covered in the armor of God, any uncovered spot, the devil is going to take ground. He's going to take whatever weakness you have, whatever bad habits that you're allowing, whatever things that you're not putting to death, whatever sin that you're telling yourself right now, hey, I'll just deal with it. I'll be okay. It's not going to ruin me. Whatever that is in your life, before you know it, the enemy will take ground, and he will begin to destroy. Remember what we talked about in the very beginning. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to conquer. Let's continue. Ephesians 6:15. Paul says, "Put on sho- for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you you will be fully prepared. So he's saying, put on the shoes of peace. I kind of find this one weird. like a little bit weird, so we talk about, like, we're going to talk about a helmet, we're going to talk about a breastplate, we're going to talk about a a sword, and then he's going to talk about the importance of shoes, (laughs) which really, like, when you go into battle, you're not thinking about, like, should I have, like, these awesome shoes, right? But Paul is going to talk about these shoes, and the reason that he does, because he is painting this picture, basically what he's saying is the ancient Roman soldier's primary mode of transportation was not a motorcycle, It was not a car. It was not a helicopter. It was not a plane like we have in the military today. It was their feet. It was their shoes. And I don't know if you've ever been hiking in here, but if you do not have the right pair of shoes, like the whole trip is miserable, right? Everything is absolutely miserable. I went hiking in Wyoming a few years back and I didn't have the right shoes and we're hiking through snow and my feet are freezing and I can't even enjoy the scenery because all I can think about is like I'm about to lose both of my feet because they're wet they're cold I'm telling you I have frostbite on my toes like something is going on but the Romans were so concerned about their shoes why they would literally march for days at a time without taking a break And so their shoes were very important. They would march over snow. They would march over hot roads. They would march over rocks. You wanted good shoes on. They would actually, um, this is kind of interesting, before cleats were ever invented, they were kind of the first people that invented cleats. What they would actually do is they'd flip their shoes upside down and they would put rocks in metal bits on the bottom of it so whenever they would stand in battle, they would have a good footing and a good grounding and so they could get good traction as they were going up. They were so concerned about their footing because a good pair of boots allowed the soldier to march, to climb, to fight, to kind of get around, to do whatever he needed to do. And here's the truth. The reason the Shoes of Peace are so important is because it symbolizes the willingness to be ready at any and every time to fight. If your commander said, hey, I need you to go and march over here, your shoes were good and you were ready to take the journey. And so here's what God is wanting to get at us today. The gospel of peace refers to the good news that believers are at peace with God in every and any circumstance. Meaning this, whatever life throws at you, you can find peace in the middle of it because your footing is grounded. You can, be, you can stand firm on the ground. And here's the deal. A lot of times people go through difficult times in their life, and because they're not grounded in their faith, it ruins everything for them. Rather than going to God in difficult times and crying out to Him and running to community, we begin to ask questions like, God, why me? We begin to doubt. We begin to get angry. We begin to get frustrated. Paul's going to continue, Ephesians 6, chapter 16. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So number four, the shield of faith. This one is very important. The shield of faith symbolizes to block out the fiery arrows, which are simply lies that the enemy wants us to believe. The doubts that Satan wants us to believe ever find yourself, even though it may be true, but you're tempted to believe a lie rather than truth? Maybe you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh my God, (laughs) what is wrong with me? Or maybe you're in a situation right now and you feel like it's out of control and the lie that begins to set in is, hey, you're never going to bounce back from this. Maybe maybe you got a divorce and the, the lie the enemy tells you is, you know what, you're never going to come back from this. The rest of your life is screwed up. For the rest of your life, you're going to be branded with this one thing. We're tempted to believe these lies. Or maybe if you're a wife in here, you're tempted to believe the lie of, hey, I'm not pretty enough for my husband to stay with me. I'm not good enough for my husband to stick it out. We begin to believe doubts rather than lies. And I think these are lies that we're all tempted to. To believe, But to hold up the shield of faith means choosing to believe what God says about you rather than what the enemy says about you. And here's the truth. You cannot know what God says about you unless you read his words. You cannot. And so many people walk around believing lies. So many people have given in to doubt simply because they don't know the truth. They don't know the truth. So I want to challenge you. Um... Starting next week, you guys have seen it, we're starting a new series called um, Detox. And in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing 21 days. We're going to have a a devotional, the same one that we did last year. We're going to hand out a devotional. And we're going to encourage you to take 21 days as a family to get together and take 21 days to pray together. And here's the truth. As you begin to do this, as you begin to learn spiritual disciplines and practices that you begin to put in, this is like you saying, God, I want to begin to shield my mind. I want to begin to shield my family from the lies and the doubts that, I'm, that we're all tempted to believe. Because how many of you guys know it? Everybody has a bad day, right? Everybody has off days. Everybody has days when they're just like, man, why did I have so many kids? Or, why, why, did I, why did I get married? Or, man, life would be so much easier if I just didn't do this. And we begin to buy in to these doubts. If we're not careful, one bad day can determine the rest of our years. Because we begin to buy into the doubt that we bought into one day because we begin to believe a lie. And before we know it, begins to conceive. And now that is our life. Rather than living in truth, we're living a lie. Ephesians six seventeen. Paul's going to say, Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So number five, what is the helmet of salvation? The helmet of salvation protects us from the blows and doubts of insecurity. The blows and doubts of insecurity. Because here's the truth. One thing that the enemy is extremely good at is constantly pointing at your failures. You messed up. Hey, you did this last year. You're going to do it again. Hey, this is what your life looks like, and this is how you're going to be for the rest of your life. The enemy will consistently point to your doubts. He's going to consistently point to your failures. Remember this. If I were the enemy, my number one objective would be to get you to doubt God's commitment to you. So I would get you to doubt your salvation. If I were the enemy, I would get you to doubt the commitment that God actually made to you, that every single time that you blow it, every single time that you fail, that the enemy comes in and he says, you know what? God's not really committed to you. He doesn't really love you. Or, hey, you know what, You just everything you just did, all this time that you spent trying to get closer to God because you just failed. You know what, you got to work, you got to earn God's love back. He's angry at you, he's frustrated at you, and you begin to doubt God's commitment to you. Because here's the truth. If the enemy can get you to doubt God's commitment, then discouragement sets in. And when discouragement sets in, you begin to lose all hope and you don't fight anymore. So when discouragement and doubt sets in, guess what? A life of apathy begins to set in. So that's why so many of us, we live just this joyless Christian life. And we know the lingo, we know the right words to say, we know how to act, we know how to respond in certain situations, but really deep inside, like we're just so broken, we're so unfilled, we're not satisfied with where we're at because we've bought into lies truth is according to the scriptures we have every reason to be secure in our salvation we learned about this in actually week one when it says in him we were sealed from the very beginning when man when god makes that commitment to us he's a loving father this is that day that you gave your life over to me i'm committed to you until the very end until the very end number six the last one the sword of the spirit now, this is the only piece of armor that is not offensive that is defensive. This is the only piece of armor that is not offensive and it's defensive. And I was doing some research this week and I found it very interesting. When a Roman soldier, they actually had two swords. And the sword that Ephesians is actually talking about is not like this, you know, big old like long sword that you pull out and you could like, you know, do some serious damage with. The sword that he's talking about is literally like this little dagger. And this dagger was meant for hand-to-hand combat. Like hand-to-hand, like one-on-one combat. There's no long, lengthy sword. It means you're about to get down and dirty and you're about to fight. And it symbolized this. The dagger was always in the Roman soldier's hand. And what Paul's trying to say and what he's trying to communicate in this text is that you have to be ready at any point of the day. Because the enemy is coming at any point and you never know when and you have to be ready at any and every single time. So let me make something very clear what Paul is trying to say. If you're a Christian, you're going to get in a fight. Every single day is a fight to know God. Every single day is a fight for your mind. Every single day is a fight to be emotionally healthy. Every single day is a fight to know Jesus. Like I'll just be honest with you guys. Like There are times when I get out of my bed, I don't want to be a loving husband. I don't want to be a good dad to my kids. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to lead a church. I don't want to do any of those things. (laughs) And it's got to be this fight that goes, okay, God, I remember who you are. I remember the promises that you have, the commitments that you've made, and I fight to push through, to find that joy. And as I fight to get there, then guess what? Joy meets me in the middle of that but sometimes it's it's like a, it's an epic hand to hand battle <laughs> like i don't want to do this the alarm clock goes off and you're like oh my god <laughs> the sword of the spirit is simply the word of god like we've got to know it because when we go to battle If we don't have it, and it's the only defensive weapon that we have, it's like a soldier going into combat with all the coolest gear in the world, but he has no gun (laughs) at all. Sooner or later, all the armor that you have, if you don't have a weapon, somebody is going to beat that armor off of you, right? You want something to fight back with. I don't know about you guys, but if I ever went into the military, the first question that I would ask is, how many guns am I going to (laughs) have? How many do I get? Like, I want one on my leg, my side. I want to be holding, like, two of them. And if they'd let me drive a tank, I'd do that as well. (laughs) Like, I want every weapon possible. And here's the truth about Christians. This is what I find so ironic. Is we want the joy of God. We want the peace of God. We want to find family in church. But we're unwilling to fight to get there. We're unwilling to fight to get there. We're unwilling to do what is necessary. And here's the danger of sometimes, listen, God's grace is so good. It's so great. And there really is nothing that you have to do to earn it. But if you want joy, there really is a fight that goes down. And when you realize, here's, here's the, the good news about grace. When you realize how much mercy and how much grace God has extended you, it should cause a work that rises up, rises up inside of you that says, now I'm willing to enter into a fight. Now I'm willing to go. As I said, this is the statistic. 80% of Americans own a Bible, but only 26% actually read it. 80% of Americans actually own a Bible, 26% actually read it. How are we supposed to attack the lies of the enemy if we aren't familiar with our weapon? How are we supposed to do that? If you want to know the Word of God, it's plain and simple. You have to read it. You have to get into healthy community. You have to get surrounded by people that know the Word of God. Parents, let me ask you a question. Why do you send your kids to school? To learn, right? Every good, every good parent in to get them out of my hair. <laughs> every good parent in here, what? They want their kids to be knowledgeable. They want their kids to succeed. If you're a good, every parent wants their kids to do, do better things than they ever could, Right? They want them to go further than they ever could. They want them to be smarter than I ever could. But at the end of the day, we send them to learn. And as a Christian, every single day should be a day where we're fighting to learn and grasp more knowledge to get closer and closer to Jesus. Ephesians 6, 8. Now, this this is kind of Paul tying it all together. So you might ask the question, okay, that's great, the armor, but how do I actually put it on? Okay, how do I actually put it on? Number six, or chapter six, verse 18. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So the way that you put on the armor of God is you have daily communion with him. Meaning that there is a time in your day, every single day, regardless of what's going on, where you spend time with Jesus. Or you wake up today and say, God, I know today as I walk into work, man, I'm going to rub shoulders with people that just drive me crazy. God, help me to have a good response. God, I know today I'm going to see things that I probably don't need to see, like help me not to fall into that lust. Or God, help me to be a good husband and a good wife. And you're asking God every single day to guard you and protect you. And you're pursuing Jesus, not just for the sole fact of pursuing him, but for the sole fact of getting closer and having an intimate relationship with him. This is the key to everything that Paul's saying. And this is why this series coming up next week is so important for us. Because for many of us, if we're just being honest and there's no problem with this, we just don't know how to do that. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to seek Jesus. We don't know how to have a relationship with Jesus. So we're going to spend 21 days literally learning how to simply just do that. But the way that Paul is telling us that we put on the armor of God is we spend time with God. We make it a point. I don't know about you guys, but in my house, and we've just kind of learned, um, well, for so many years we tried to be like, okay, in the morning, where I'm going to spend 30 minutes just pursuing. When you have five kids, it's impossible. Okay, like there's not like you can just wake up and like, I have this this idealistic fantasy if I wake up, you know, I'm not groggy, I'm not tired, I grab a cup of coffee, kids are still in bed, I can read, I can have some quiet time. That never happens, okay? Like ever. Claire and I's consistent routine, and this is not a joke, we get coffee, get kids breakfast, all this kind of stuff, and before I head off to work, we sit out on our porch and drink coffee. And every single time, I would like to tell you that it is just perfect. It's a great conversation. It's a great time to read. There's always at least two kids at our glass window like, ah! <laughs> so you're always tending to a kid. But here's the thing that we've learned. We're not too good at like having a consistent time regimen. Like at 9 o'clock, we're going to wake up. We're going to read. We're going to do this. So we just made it a point to every day we're going to do it. And whenever it works out in that day to do it, that's when we do it says, so however it works for you, some of you are like very like regimented and scheduled out. You know it like, at 6 o'clock, I'm going to wake up. At 7 o'clock, I'm going to eat an egg. At 8 o'clock, I'm going to go to the bathroom. At 9 o'clock, I'm going to show up to work. Like, if that's your life, that's great. I hate you. I've never been able to do that. <clears throat> but here's the truth. True fighting takes place when men and women are willing to get on their knees before God and they learn to pray and seek Jesus. Let me close with this. Daniel, many of you guys may know the story, but Daniel stood up against a very dark culture, a culture that was a lot darker than ours. He was removed from the Christian God, and he was forced to serve a Babylonian God, but he chose not to bow down to that Babylonian God. He was actually thrown into a fire, And God stood with him throughout all of it. And through all the darkness and all the controversy, you want to know how he stood firm through that? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Listen, there are some things that you deal with in your life right now, you will not find freedom until you learn to pray. You just won't. I don't think that the bible and prayer i'm not trying to weigh them out on a scale but if you could only choose one for the rest of your life i'd probably say pray that's probably a bad analogy but that's how important it really is just learning to have connection and communion and conversation and intimacy with jesus because here's the truth prayer keeps you aware of the schemes of the enemy It keeps you aware of the schemes of the enemy. You know, I've heard stories of soldiers in the middle of combat who get left by their battalion at a certain post for three days who don't sleep, don't eat, don't go to the bathroom. And they stay awake, alert. And I've literally heard a story of one guy he said, I got left at a tree in the middle of this forest and I'm waiting on guys to come in and rescue me. I stayed awake for three days and he said, I felt like all of my senses were so heightened. He said, it felt like I could hear a twig snap from a mile away. Now, why were his senses so heightened? Because in the middle of war, you stay very alert. Why? Because you want to make it home. <laughs> you don't want to die. You don't want to get a bullet, you want you, you have a wife, you have kids that you want to get back to. And listen, prayer is the same way as a Christian. When you enter into prayer and communion with God, you begin to become aware of the attacks and the schemes of the enemy. If you're not connecting with Christ on a daily basis, the truth is you're not aware of the dangers that surround you every single day. There's something about war that sharpens your senses. Paul ends it with this, Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, and then he says, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Listen to this, this is so good. Verse 20, I'm in chains now, still preaching the message of God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now, this is ironic because the whole time Paul is telling people to fight, to put on the armor, and he never asks once for God to free him from the chains that he's in in prison. The only thing that he asks is, God, help me to keep pursuing you. Help me to keep pushing forward. Help me to be bold in my faith. Paul understands that true freedom is found in the willingness to fight. So let me close with this the front lines is always the safest place to be. As a Christian, the front lines of battle is always the safest place to be. Because if you're consistently fighting, it means that you're consistently aware of what's going on and the schemes and the attacks that the enemy has against you. So I want to encourage you, as we wrap up the book of Ephesians today, we are fighters. As Christians, we're called to enter into a battle, we're called to enter into a war, and we're called to fight. We, we fight with prayer, we fight, we fight with community, we fight with consistently going to church and finding the right people that we can surround ourselves by. And some of us, the only reason that we don't move any forward is just because, honestly, the truth is we just hang around Morons. I love it this way. Pastor Jacob says it this way. He says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Man, if you want to be a godly man of God, if you want to be a godly woman of God, you've got to start hanging around godly men and godly women. That's why life groups are so important. It's why community is so important. It's why getting in a dream team is so important because you begin to rub shoulders with other men and women that are like-minded and want to grow in their faith.